Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Shamai, hello and welcome to this podcast. I'm your host, Sam Cook. Over the next half an hour, you'll be hearing from some of this country's biggest stars. From where they got their big break, to struggles that they may have faced along the way. In this week's episode, we'll be putting Stereophonics and Far From Saints singer-songwriter Kelly Jones in the spotlight. Kelly Jones, hello, how are you? Very good, thanks. You? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad at all. Whereabouts are you currently in the world? Uh, I am just back from doing a few shows and we're in uh, a studio in London at the minute. Your microphone sounds so much better than mine, Kelly. I'm slightly, I'm slightly envious. <laughs> yeah, well, that'll be the studio part. Yeah, well, yeah, well I don't yeah. have one of those. Um, <laughs> and of course, Kelly, we are chatting ahead of the release of your new band, Far From Saints' debut album. So how are you feeling about it? Nervous? No, I'm not nervous about it. I mean, it's a record that, you know, we made in 2019. I was doing my solo tour run and uh, started writing with Patty and Dwight on that tour. They were opening up for me with the wind and the wave, and it was very natural kind of process really and made the record very fast as well so the record only took about nine days to make so if anything it's like you know a relief that we all still love the record and it's nice to actually get out there and play the shows now so we just want to get the record out so people can get to hear it so i don't feel nervous but i feel really proud of the record there's not many records you can make and not release for four years and hopefully you still like it by the time it comes out you know um so we all still feel passionate about it so i think the audience was is going to as well and um, sort of far from Saints itself, how yeah. did it come about? And, and and sort of more importantly, but how, how does the band differ to your work in the Stereophonics? Well, I first met uh, Patty and Dwight in about 2013. Uh, we were doing the graffiti on the train tour in America, and they opened up for us. And then they came to the UK to do a few shows. Then I didn't see them for about six or seven years. And then when I was going to do the solo tour, I needed somebody to kind of open up and I asked them would they be interested in doing it and we first sang the Tom Petty and Stevie Nicks cover Stop Dragging My Heart Around on stage and the audience really liked it and there was a good connection on stage between us singing and uh, I said do you fancy writing some songs and we started doing a little bit in like dressing rooms and uh, email and text and ideas back and forth to each other at the end of the show and then the next day getting in dressing rooms and hotel rooms and stuff like that and the record came about, we were, well, the tour was about 20 shows. So over the course of that, we ended up writing about 10, 12 songs. And um, we booked a little recording session at the end and recorded it. And it was very, very natural, really, uh, how we came about. And um, it wasn't any premeditated, conceived idea. It was just like I wanted to make a record with somebody that I was a fan of their voice. And um, I'd never sang with a female before. And it was something that we've, just kind of challenge ourselves with and it came about in a very natural process and i suppose to an extent it's about pushing yourself creatively isn't it and and like you said trying new things yeah i mean 
I've made 12 studio records with Stereophonics, probably done about 14 world tours and the band's in a, in a great place, you know, playing stadiums and arenas and, you know, number one records last year again. And it's like, I'm very grateful. There's new people discovering the band all the time and plus the people that's been following the band since the beginning. But for me, it's like, I, I want to try to do things that keep that going forwards, you know, and making it fresh and, um, uh, but without it kind of being some sort of mission plan or something, it's just like, if something lands that feels really good, then I want to kind of jump on that and just experiment with it, really. You know? And one thing that I love about the Stereophonics is, although you've achieved this worldwide success, you always find your way back home to Wales. Me and you actually met in Prego Wine Bar uh, very briefly <laughs> right. a couple of years ago. And I'm just thinking, like, how Welsh is that? And that's such a kind of a Welsh mentality where we all find each other. So yeah. why why is it important for you to kind of keep coming back to Wales and performing here? I was doing gigs in Wales from the age of 12 years old. Um, I've been brought up in Wales. I've, I've spent half my life in Wales uh, from about the age of 21. I, I moved to London and I've got a family in London and the kids all go to school and stuff like that there. So that kind of dictates the kind of infrastructure of the main part of my life as I can. Um, you know, all my ethics and my morals and my upbringing and my, you know, coal mining grandfathers and factory working parents and, you know, schooling and, you know, the running around in the mountains and stuff when I was a kid is all, it's all embedded in, in my soul. You know, that's who I am. So I like sharing that with my kids and I take them back there and, you know, it's, there's nothing more than that, really. It is what it is. That's what, that's who I am. You know, that's what my roots are. The band itself, uh, your new band, that is, Far yeah. um, From Saints, you'll be performing with uh, Sir Tom Jones again very soon at Cardiff Castle. Sir Tom, wow. living legend, and you've worked with him on a couple of occasions now. What would you say your kind of greatest memories of working with Sir Tom are? You know, we first met Tom in about 1998, and um, he came to watch us in Wembley Arena. Uh, opening up for James, the band James. That was our first arena tour. We were a support guest for them. And he was scouting people to do his um, his duets album, uh, the Reload record. And we had, a, we had a good night together. When you get together with Tom, you start asking questions about people he's worked with. You know, they can become a very long night and a very interesting night. So I love people telling stories. I was brought up with my old man playing the clubs and listening to all older fellas telling stories. So, you know, Tom's the kind of guy who's got every story from Muhammad Ali to Elvis Presley and everybody in between. So I've had some amazing nights with him, you know. Um, and during lockdown, I would go around and watch some of the football matches around his place with him and have a few beers. And, you know, he's just one of these people that he's almost been like a second father figure in many ways. He's 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 been very supportive through my career. And, and that's why I wanted him to do the stadium this last year. I wanted to give him, you know, that massive stage in Wales, which he you know, obviously clearly deserves to play in front of that many people. So to do the two nights with us was amazing. So I uh, I jumped back on that favour back this year to connect the far from Saint Slot in Cardiff Castle with him. So there we go. That's so mad how you went and literally had a couple of drinks with him. Like, do you ever just think, oh my God, that's Sir Tom Jones. I'm I'm sat here. Having it. Like, does that ever go from you? Like, will he always kind of be uh, up to? Well, no, I mean, <clears throat> we've become very, very, Close in many ways, you know. Um, I've I've known Tom for a long time, and we're very very natural around each other. So, 
I mean, I, I went round to see him. Uh, we watched the, I think it was one of the European Welsh games together. And then we uh, just sat and talked till about one in the morning, you know, and he showed me old film clips of him, you know, singing with Jerry Lewis and, and, you know, Little Richard and Aretha Franklin, you know, and I'm watching him and it's like, it's, yeah, of course it's surreal, you know, pictures of him and Elvis Presley on the wall and um, it's just an incredible experience to be sharing really. So I'm, I'm very grateful that I met him when I was, you know, in my early twenties and, uh, and the friendship kind of remained, you know, um, so yeah, I mean, I love I love the things he does. I love the records he makes with Ethan Johns, and I love the way he keeps trying to push himself and and try to do what he does with with a lot of grace and dignity as he, as he gets to an older man. You know, I was listening to the podcast you did with Rob Brydon, and and Rob said that Sir Tom is the type of person who will, although he may have told the story a million times, it will always feel fresh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he does. You know, he's a. He, He's he's a great storyteller, and um, he's got you know a million two minute snippets of every person you can probably ever imagine meeting. I guess you know. So, <laughs> so when you add them all up, you know, they can add up to hours and hours and hours. And um, I've been very fortunate enough to be in those rooms quite a few times. So yeah, so I don't care how many times I've heard them; you can keep them coming as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> And um, Kelly, so discussing your beginnings in this industry, would you say that you always knew that you wanted to be a rock star? I don't think I ever wanted to be a rock star. Um, I think I knew that I could write um, ideas and I knew that I had some sort of energy or drive in me that was kind of directing me somewhere i knew i had something i was trying to get out of me um but i wouldn't say that i wanted to be a guy with a fast car and a swimming pool and a, and a big house and that was not really ever my objective or my goal um i just knew that there was something i was doing that kind of became peaceful when i was doing it if that makes any sense i had a lot of energy and when i was making music or i was drawing or i was you know dressing up as some superhero or whatever it might be whenever I was doing anything creative I felt more uh at ease with myself so I didn't understand that at the time obviously it's only when I look back now at it but that that was the main reason I kept doing it it wasn't to achieve money or status or anything like that I mean the rock star thing comes with a bit of fun as it gets older you know I, I love I love Angus Young from ACDC I I love uh, you know, I love soul singers. I, I love uh, all sorts of different bands, and I just try to steal a little bit from everybody that I love and stick it into my show. You know, and um, and and that's kind of what I've been doing for years. And you get a bit more confident, or you get a, a little bit more insecure sometimes. Whatever it might be, you know, sometimes you go introvert, sometimes you go extrovert. Depends what kind of show you're doing. But um, uh, but yeah, like every other artist, you just you just kind of like a magpie pinching and stealing little bits that you love from other people and making it your own. Do you ever wonder what you'd be doing if you weren't doing this now? Well, I was at a kind of crossroads around about 20, 21, where I'd, I'd done my five years of kind of film and animation school. And, and uh, I'd obviously done school. I'd had part-time work and I was still in the band. And, and then BBC Wales offered me a little job to write a, a treatment for a screenplay. And... I took that on board. They bought me a little computer and then Richard Branson offered me a record deal. So I was kind of, I guess, always in the 
field of story writing or storytelling. Um, so I guess if I wasn't doing music, I probably would have focused more on trying to do some sort of thing in the drama or the or the telling of stories or kind of behind the scenes a bit more probably. Yeah, because I, I still got a love for that sort of thing. I guess if the music hadn't worked out, that's probably where I would have landed, somewhere in that field. And I imagine being a musician, there is uh, an immense amount of pressure to keep being good. What do you kind of do to look after your your mental health in a job that is so pressured? Well, when I was a kid, uh, um, you know, it was quite well reported, I suppose. But uh, my uncle was a, a boxing referee, so I was boxing from like the age of uh, 10, maybe. Um, and aside from the fighting and, and the fitness skills and all that, what I learned from boxing was discipline because I was around a lot of older guys. It was, there was nobody really my age there. And they lied about my age. I was fighting underage. I was always around some element of um, uh, a disciplined routine, really. So, and to this day, you know, I'll still get up at six o'clock in the morning to get up, you know, before my kids get up because I'm still pretty disciplined in whatever I do, really. Um, so the thing, I guess, the only thing I can put down to anything to remain here for 27, 30 years, wherever it's becoming, is just a discipline to continue to do the things that I find important to myself, really, whether that's whether that's as simple as going for a run or whether that's as simple as doing something for myself or the family or whatever it is or the, or the music or coming to work every day to to practice singing or playing the guitar, you know, wherever it could be. It doesn't matter where it is, really. But I've always had a drive to kind of maintain that sort of discipline in and amongst all the chaos that comes with the job and with the lifestyle through your 20s and 30s and I've always kind of got up the next day and done the work really I suppose. And aside from the music you've done uh, a lot of charity work and that was never more highlighted than um, you actually got to attend King Charles's coronation earlier this year with the Prince's Trust. How was that? I did yeah. Uh, it, was a light, it was quite slight, slightly surreal I have to say. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, I applied for a grant and um, uh, we got about 300 quid or something. And we had a pair of speakers and then the speakers got stolen and then they gave us another check for 500 quid. And then we had, a, we had a couple of meetings with him. You know, I think he came to a little youth centre in Hopkins Town when I was a kid and we met him down there and Charles, I mean. And then we went to, uh, I think we got invited to St. James's Palace just after we got signed in the early 90s, 98 maybe. And I, I don't know, I didn't really think a great deal about it, but I suppose when I look back now, you know, uh, there was nobody else that was going to give us money for a set of speakers. We didn't have any money. You know, we were all part-time working or in college or whatever it might have been. So it was quite a surreal invite, and it was it was nice to par- um, participate and witness it. Um, it was a long old morning, <laughs> but it was, uh, but it was um, quite a, an interesting arc from the a boy brought up in Glanaman Road to end up in the King's Coronation. Yeah, that was... It was quite surreal for my parents, I think. At this point in your career, do you still get those pinch me moments, things that you've never done before and and but just you can't believe where where you are now? I mean, yeah, all the time. I, I'm I don't take any of it for granted. You know, I'm I get as apprehensive as anybody else walking into a crowded room full of people who have achieved a million things more than myself. You know, I just try to the older I get, I just try to find that sense of self in myself and have, you know, a bit more, I guess, ease about who I am, you know. But when you're younger, you're always constantly thinking everybody's better than you and all that sort of nonsense. And now i got kids and I can see them going through the same stuff and the lessons you're passing back down. 
you sort of take in for yourself as well a little bit as you get older, you know. So it's an interesting world to jump into. But, you know, I focus on what I do and, uh, some, you know, I probably turn down most things I get invited to. But I thought, you know, one way I looked at that was it was a, it was a fella once that gave me a load of money to buy some speakers and now he's the king. <laughs> so I thought I better go and say hello. Briefly going back to the, the phonics, you, you formed the band with Stuart Cable, who unfortunately passed away in 2010. Yeah. Would you say that his spirit is still very much rooted in the band as you can have continued over the years? Uh, well, Stuart was a you know a large character in my in my life. I was in the first band I was ever in with Stuart. You know, from twelve years old, he was about fourteen. Uh, we couldn't drive, so we would push our equipment up the street on a little trolley, uh, which had a squeaky wheel, and everybody who was playing bingo in the workmen's club could hear us going past before and after practice because of this wheel on the on the trolley. So we've had a lot of memories together. Um, Stuart was probably my first fan in my lyrics. You know, he loved the way I was writing and he would encourage me to write more. So he was very encouraging in that way. And so when I play the early stuff, obviously Stuart is a is a prominent memory in, in those uh, songs and those recordings for me and for the audience, you know. Um, it's strange because Stuart was on four records when we made 12. So I guess it's kind of, um, it's always that first band member uh, situation where that's the thing people think about you know it's um it, it's never the people that come after really it's uh the, the main memory is how the band was formed and stuff like that so of course he's he's a very powerful um spirit within any of the live shows and within those songs that he was part of 2018 was an interesting year for you kelly because you i i, I read this morning kind of you discovered that you had polyps on your vocal cord what was that whole experience like well, I had a one-off trauma polyp, which was probably caused from like shouting if I lost my keys or something like that. It wasn't really caused from singing. And, and I found it by an accidental kind of examination for just a regular routine thing for something else, actually. Um, it was kind of uh, scary, obviously, because that's what I've made my life out of. Um, but I had some great people around me and um, they did the surgery and then I did all the recovery and all the work and probably sang um the best i've ever sung ever since really because of the because because of the work i put into it now you know um i do a lot of um preparation and exercises and all that kind of stuff before the tours and the shows which you know i wasn't doing a great deal of that before um i've just been a natural singer in in many ways so it was like every adversity in life you know you it's painful and scary and traumatic at the time and then i suppose we all gain something from them afterwards but it's um it's just something you have to travel through, isn't it? I think your perspective changed after that, having that potential trauma. Did that change your perspective on, on what you were doing? I suppose anything that can kind of stop you in your tracks can change your perspective. You know, I don't think any of us willingly take things for granted. Um, and I don't think I've ever took my job for granted or what I do for granted. But obviously, if something can be changed or taken from you, uh, then you obviously have to think of other options, how you can do something in a different way. So, yeah, you have fleeting thoughts, of course, but but at the time I was very positive, the people I was working with, and I I thought I'd come out the other end, and you have moments where you feel like it's not going to happen, and but you just have to get your head down and get through it, you know. Um, it's like, I don't know, like a ballet dancer that breaks their ankle, you know, they have to kind of keep putting the work in. You know, I had ankle surgery a couple, of, you know, last year, and I, I'm working on that now. It's just, 
it's just body maintenance basically you know you got to keep on keep on staying as as uh as as fit as you can to do the job that we do and um that's kind of a good thing too because it keeps you on your toes to stay stay in a good in, in good nick you know we always end these podcasts with two questions the first of right. which if you had the opportunity to talk to your younger self what would you yeah. tell him uh I would tell him to stop beating himself up so much and don't worry about the end goal because the joy is in the bit of the doing. And for you, Kelly, what would you like to see happen next? Uh, For me? For you. For you, what would you like Uh, to see happen next in your life? uh, For me, uh, well, I've got four kids and they're all doing different, very different things. So one's off to uni, one's in nursery. They're all over the place. So for me, I all I want to achieve really is to keep shifting and moving between different ideas and projects with things that make me feel uh, like I'm growing as an artist and as a musician and uh, as a person, and um, I'm maintaining, you know, good friends around me to do that with really, and uh, that's the main thing I want to do. You know, to just keep going forward in a way that is exciting and uh, and has growth to it. Ellie, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for having a chat with me. The next time you go around to Sir Tom's, pop in a good word, get him as the next <laughs> guest on the podcast from all of us at Wales Online, Diochenvau. No problem. Thank you very much. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of In the Spotlight. For more TV and showbiz news, subscribe to our newsletter on walesonline.co.uk. 